We are in Acts chapter 27. So you're going to go back there. We are going to read today a, ch- a little chunk. So you're going to need a Bible because I'm not going to have all these words up here on the screen. And I don't want them all on the screen. I want them in your hand because you can't take the screens when you leave. But you can take the Bible that's in your hand. So it's important that you have it to look at. Today, title is Surviving Despair. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, this one's been kind of hammering me all week. You ever use the phrase, I know others have it worse, but blank, 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 I'm really struggling, or it's really hard. Or I know there are people in third world countries that don't have, but I'm really hurting for whatever else. Like, that phrase sounds really good, and we say it a lot, but it really doesn't carry any weight, if we're honest. Like, it it doesn't help, if we're honest, in hard times to say, well, I know somebody's got it worse. Fear and depression, they're real. Like, they're real. They happen. And when they reach full maturity, despair and hopelessness start to come over. Really the same thing. So how do you survive when despair takes over your life? Um, I always give you a line. I got a line today. It's just like a, a road sign to hold on to as we go through this. It's on the sheets in the back of you got. If not, it'll be up here. But it's just me. It's not scripture. The finding hope and despair comes from trusting that God has a plan and accepting that you've already entrusted your life to him. Finding hope in despair comes from trusting that God has a plan and then accepting that you've already entrusted your life to him. So what we're looking at today is Paul's journey to Rome. And uh, I was telling Josh, I've been struck by the fact that I don't know why I've never caught this before, but almost a third of the book of Acts is just Paul's journey to Rome. Eight chapters of the book are dedicated to that. And so obviously we're not reading eight chapters. Don't panic. All right. But let me give you the story to kind of catch you up to where things are. So Paul had been on one of his last journeys and he decides to go back home to Jerusalem uh, and check in. When he goes back, he arrives at and he goes in the temple, obviously, to worship. And there's some Jews that are there from Asia, these areas of Turkey where he'd been planting churches, Ephesus and all these. There's some Jews from there, some of these guys that we talked about before that had hated him. And they stir up a mob in the temple to attack Paul. And they accuse him of being against the temple and against Moses' law and all this stuff. And they attack him. They start to beat him. Roman soldiers come out to try to get control of the mob, and these Roman soldiers pull Paul out, and they start to bring Paul into the barracks. But Paul says, can I address the crowd? The Roman soldiers say, okay. So they allow Paul from the steps to address this mob. He quiets them down, and he tells them his testimony. He tells them the gospel. Of course, he claims innocence. And for a while, they listen to him, but then they erupt again and start trying to get to him. So the soldiers bring him in. The Roman tribune, who is in charge brings the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish government, Jewish law, the religious leaders, brings them in and has them come to, some wild background music, right? Uh, Has them come interview Paul, or not interview Paul, but accuse Paul, basically trial. Come tell us what he did. Brings these guys in privately to tell them what he did. During that time, Paul defends himself again, and they become divided. This Sanhedrin does, and they don't know what to do with Paul, and they nearly start a little riot themselves. And so the tribune kind of excuses them. Well, that night, 
Acts 23, this verse will be up there, verse 11 says, The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage. For as you have testified about these, these facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So just like you've been doing here in Jerusalem, you must also do it in Rome. Is there any chance he's not going to Rome? No chance. The Lord's telling him, present, I don't, was Jesus standing there? Maybe, I don't know, but he's presently there telling Paul, you must Testify about me in Rome. Man, that's great news. I was just attacked by a mob, man. I survived the mob, thank goodness. Man, I may be in jail for a minute, but hey, I'm going to Rome, right? Good news. Well, meanwhile, outside of platforms to assassinate Paul. The Roman Tribune hears about it, and Paul sends, is Paul is sent by that tribune to the governor, the Roman governor, his name is Felix, and he is in Caesarea, which is north of Jerusalem. So he basically gets him out of town, sends him to the governor, Felix, because it's too dangerous in Jerusalem. Felix then invites these high priests and these elders to come to Caesarea, away from Jerusalem. Come up here and tell me what this guy did. Come up here and accuse him uh, for what he did. So they do. And they hear, Felix hears all this out again. And then Felix decides not to decide. Just says, you know what? Not make any decision. And he leaves Paul in jail. He gives him some freedoms because he trusted him, but he leaves him in jail for two years. Like, just put that into perspective for a minute. For two years. Two years ago, we weren't even in this building. Two, two years. He leaves him there. But he also visits him, he brings his wife to visit him, and he questions Paul constantly about his faith. Now, he never commits to believe what Paul believes, at least as far as we know. Maybe he did, but it doesn't say he did. But he keeps coming and talking for two years, and then after two years, you'd think Paul is released, but not initially. Felix is replaced by a new governor, Festus. And Paul's basically starting all over again, two years deep in, in prison. And then within days of Festus' arrival, he decides to deal with this Paul issue. So he has the Jewish leaders, two years later, come back and tell us what Paul did again. So they all come back again to Caesarea. But once again, Paul proves his innocence. But this time, Paul says this, Acts 25, uh, 12, in verse 11, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. In verse 12, then Festus when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Where is Caesar? In Rome, right? So he already knows God told him to go to Rome. But now he's saying, I, I'm, I'm, I've been tried multiple times, nowhere, getting nowhere. I'm sitting here rotting in jail. Let me, send me to Caesar. Appeals to the Supreme Court in a manner of speaking, right? All right, before his departure, though, the Jewish king, Agrippa, and his wife... Come to meet the new governor, Festus. And while they're there, Festus says, hey, man, I got one of your Jewish uh, guys here, the big celebrity Paul. Why don't we bring him out and let's all hear from him and hear what, what he's got to say. So they actually bring in the uh, tribunes from around the city. They bring in city leaders and all make this big event, have the king and the governor and everybody. And they allow Paul to once again share his testimony and talk to this whole entire crowd. Uh, Paul is living Jesus' words 
Jesus said this years before Paul ever put his faith in him. In Matthew 10, verse 18, Jesus said, You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak, but it's the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is literally what Paul is living out. He is before kings and governors, Gentiles and Jews. And he is bearing witness, giving his testimony. He's telling who he knows God to be, who Jesus is. And again, when Paul is in front of this whole crew, he shares his testimony. And they take interest, but they kind of blow him off. But then Agrippa says this, King Agrippa says this later, Acts 26, verse 31. It says, when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man's doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. He's innocent, 32. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. Like, Paul can't catch a break, man. <laughs> you know? Like, now, now you're realizing he, he could go home. Or he could go to Rome on his own terms. He could have got his ship and sailed in comfort instead of as a prisoner. But because he appealed to Caesar now, he's got to go to Rome as a prisoner. And then Paul, along with Luke, because the language says we a few times, along with Luke, get on this ship and start their journey to Rome. Now, I'm going to show you a map. I'll show it to you a few times because of all these little towns. But you see down in the far right, there's Caesarea. That's where they're leaving, right where it says Judea. That's where they're leaving from. And they're going to sail up this coastline and under around Asia, across Cyprus, the little island there. And then down underneath uh, Crete, that big island in the middle. And then out over the open ocean. And I'll read you. You'll see it. I'm just showing it to you first. So take a mental image of that. You'll see it again in a minute. So go to Acts 27. Let's go to verse 4. It's, you're going to read with me. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to read it quick. We're going to skim along. But I want you to read it with me. And I want you to take note of how many negative things are happening here how many like negative things are going on however you want to define negative all right verse i'm going to pick it up in verse four putting out to sea from there and remember this is luke recording what paul's doing and what's going on luke is the one who's writing acts so when he says we he's talking about the whole ship but himself included so he's there he's see he's not getting this story secondhand he's there verse four Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So right out of the gun, the winds are against us. Under the lee means you're under the side of the island or the land that's away from the wind. So you're trying to shield yourself from the wind by going under, putting land between you and where the blasts are coming from. Verse 5. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. And there the centurion who is in charge, the Roman centurion who's in charge of all this, found a ship of Alexandria that was sailing to Italy. That's where Rome is. That's where we're going. And he put us on board. We sailed slowly, slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off 
Salmone, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lysaia. Since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because the fast was already over. The fast is the Day of Atonement. Remember, we had, this was last week. I told you guys about it. So it's in September and October. It's around that time period. And what would end up happening is after November, all the shipping lanes closed. People did not, from November to February, travel on the open ocean because it was way too dangerous because of basically hurricane season. Look at it that way. Except you don't have a steel. You don't have motors. You don't have all that stuff. You just have wind and wood. So nobody, they, the, the lanes closed. So Paul is realizing it is at least after the Day of Atonement. It's after that day. It's after September to October. So we're getting real close, if not in November already. Paul recognizes that. And Paul advises them. Not doesn't say he had a vision from God. He's just an experienced traveler. And he knows. And he says, guys, I, I perceive. See, it's, it's, his, it's his own observation. It's not like a vision from God. I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Hey, guys, if we keep going, we're going to lose everything. Y'all know this. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot, the captain, and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided, say, take a vote. The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix. How about that? We get a little, get a little hype in the word here. To reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So from one end of Crete to the other, it's just right down the, the inside of the island. It's not like they were going way off here. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they've obtained their purpose. So, hey, it's a calm little wind. We can make this. We're good. We'll go. They weighed anchor, and they sailed right along Creek close to the shore to protect themselves from the wind. But soon a tempestuous wind, violent wind, called the Northeaster. So this is a known occurrence struck down from the land. So this doesn't come from the ocean. It comes down from the land to which they are hugging in their boat. And the ship was caught and could not face the wind we gave way to it. We were driven along. They can't fight the wind. The wind blasts them out away from the shoreline and into the open ocean. Running under the lee of a small island called Caudia, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. So the little boat that trails the big boat, they get it secured up. And after hoisting it up, they use supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, those are giant sandbars off the north of Africa, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along, forced by whatever the wind's going to take you. Let's see the map again. So take a quick pause. So here's the map again. So now you can see where Phoenix is, almost the bullseye in the middle of the screen. So they, they were trying to reach that, but the winds came down over that island and blasted them down towards North Africa. And you can see where that says... Uh, Sirtis Major, all in there, there are sandbars scattered, and they're afraid they're going to hit them and be stuck in the open ocean on a sandbar and obviously die. So, verse 18, let's keep going. Since we were violently storm-tossed, remember, how much negativity have you already heard? Like, this is already your nightmares, right? 
Since we were violently storm-tossed, picture, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Perfect Storm or one of those where the, the waves are about to flip the ship all the time, soaking wet, winds that are flinging rain at you like it's coming from everywhere. They began next day to jettison the cargo, trying to make it lighter because it's taking on so much water it's going to sink. And on the third day, three days of it now, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And, and, and when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, they have not seen light. They don't know where they are. They have no way to know where they're going. And no small tempest lay on us. A, storm, a horrible storm's continuing. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. That is called despair. All hope of being saved is at last abandoned. Verse 21, since they've been without food, they didn't, they didn't not have food. They're just not eating. Terrified. Paul stood up among them and said, man, you, you should have listened to me. God love Paul. should have listened to me. And have not set sail from Crete and incurred the injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. You didn't listen to me before. Listen to me now. Okay, please. There will be no loss of life among you. Only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all of those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith. I have faith. I love that in God that it will be exactly as I've been, as I've been told. But, 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 if, he stopped, if there was no but here, man, that would have been great news. But there's a but here. But. We must run aground on some island. What island? I don't know. Some island. When the 14th night had come. So Paul has this vision, but hey, it ain't happened yet. It didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen the next day. Four, two weeks of this storm had come. I mean, think of the sickness and everything else. Two weeks of it. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that we were nearing land. So they took a sounding. They drop a, a line down to see how deep the water is. It was 20 fathoms, a little farther on. They took a second one. It was 15, so it's, it's getting shallow. And fearing that we might run into the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape now from the ship, and they lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in this ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Gave them no escape. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today's the 14th day. That you've continued in suspense, like wondering, worrying what's going to happen. And without food, and you haven't eaten anything. Therefore, I urge you, take some food. For it's going to give you strength. Not a hair on your head is going to perish. Verse 35. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. And then when they see him eat, they're encouraged and they eat too. In verse 37, we, we were in all 276 persons on that ship. That is a lot of people on a ship when you're thinking about the kind of ship it is. 
And when they'd eaten enough, they lighten the ship, throwing the wheat into the sea. So after they eat, now they throw the food overboard to try to lighten the ship even more. All or nothing now. Verse 39. Now, when it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed that there was a bay and a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So the day comes, the sun comes up, and for the first time they can see, and they see in front of them there is, in fact, land, and there's a beach there. And they decide, let's just aim at the beach and try to run the ship up onto the beach. So they cast off the anchors, they cut the anchors and leave them in the ocean, and they at the same time loosened the ropes that tied to the rudders. So basically they released the ship to the wind, aimed at the beach, the hoisting of the foresail to the wind, and they made for the beach, verse 41. But striking a reef, <laughs> they ran into the vessel aground. The, the bow struck and remained immovable, or the bow, excuse me, struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So the front of the boat is crushed into the reef, and the back of the boat is being smashed by the waves. So this thing is being crushed around them. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. <laughs> It just keeps getting worse, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, who was a prisoner, kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered that those who could swim jump overboard. So the waves are crushing the ship, and you're going to jump into that water. First, and make it to the land, verse 44. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship that was disintegrating around them. And so it was that they were all brought safely to land. Map one more time. So here we are. They've been drifting all that time across that big long stretch where the word Mediterranean is. See the little island there where it says Malta, where that hard turn is? That's where they end up here. And this is where we'll finish up. Look at verse chapter 28, verse 1. Not, not reading it all, just a little bit here. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because, of course, it begins to rain and it's cold. (laughs) And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks to put on the fire, of course, a viper comes out and bites his hand and fastens on and won't let go. Vipers are poisonous. This is death. When native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, of course, no doubt, this man's a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice is not going to allow him to live. Paul cannot catch a break. Remember, this all started in Jerusalem with a mob and two years in jail. And and then all, all of this cannot catch a break. How in the world do you not despair? Let me show you the finish real quick, and then we're going to come back and land, land and talk for just a few minutes. I know we've read a lot, but trust me, there's not a lot, a lot more to cover. We're going to zoom back in for just a minute, but let me finish what happens. Verse 5, Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire, the snake, and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no for- misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, well, he's a god. Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place, I like that, in the neighborhood of that place, like nobody knew where, the, nobody had been here before, uh, at least none of these sailors and not Paul, belonged to uh, the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that his father lay sick with fever and dysentery. 
And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this took place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases all came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And we were, when we set sail, we were put on board with whatever we needed. And then in verse 11, it says, after three months we set sail. In verse 14, it says, and so we came to Rome. Just as God has said. But let's go back in and zoom in for just a few minutes. How do you not despair? Like, how do you not feel hopeless? Let's go back and look at it. Go back to 27 in verse 20. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Again, that is despair. When all hope of anything working out is at last forgotten. This is just not going to, it's just over. It's just over. Some of y'all may have been there. Somebody may be there now. I think we've all been in those situations on some degree in our lives. Look at, again at verse 23. Paul says there's an angel that stood there. And I like what he says. An angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He didn't say there's an angel of the God I believe in. He said there's an angel of the God to whom I belong. I belong to God and I worship him. Like, if you can start by saying those two things, you're going to be in a good spot quick. I belong. I don't care how bad it is. I not. I believe in God. Not even I trust in God. I belong to him. He's I'm his. I belong to him. In other words, he can do whatever he wants with me because I belong to him, not the other way around. It's not I can do whatever I want with God. It's God can do whatever he wants with me. And I worship him for that. I'm not just saying it. I worship him for that. And he said in verse 24, don't be afraid. Uh, He told me that I got to stand in front of Caesar. And behold, God has granted you guys. He's saying this to them. God has granted uh, God has granted you, Paul, all those who sail with you. So he's saying God has given all of you to me. Not saying you belong to me, but he's saying that how I fare, so will you. Because of my God. Verse 25, so take heart. Look, he doesn't say have faith. What does he say? Take heart for what? I have faith. Be encouraged because I have faith that God will do exactly as he said. But we must run aground first. Must run aground first. Y'all see this? It's initially Paul's faith that they put their faith in. Not Paul's God. It's Paul's faith that they put their faith in. And God was saving those who were with Paul, which meant that if that were going to occur, Paul must be with them. Which therefore means Paul must be in whatever storm they're in if God is going to save them with Paul. Unfortunate for Paul, but that's the way it is. How many people might be looking at your faith for evidence of God? 
not trying to dump anything on you or put stones on you. I'm just asking how many people might be looking to your faith for evidence of God. Your faith only becomes visible when times are extremely difficult. And how you respond in those moments is what's going to display that faith the greatest. And that means that you've got to meet people where they are in whatever fears, struggles, and horrors they're in. To put you in the same situation. Think of the certainty of Paul's faith here. Remember this centurion was first trusting the captain. He's the expert. Then he trusted popular vote. We all voted on it. We're going to do this. And now he's rejecting all of that. And he's listening to a Jewish criminal. From his point of view. He's listening to a Jewish criminal. Think of the impact of Paul's faith on this guy. Yes, there was an angel. I got that. But maybe Paul's faith is less about the angel and more about having a purpose. The God in whom I belong to. You know, that's the key to finding joy in the worst of scenarios is knowing you've got a purpose. That's it. It may seem like God's delaying Paul here with the wind. It may seem like persecution. It may seem like Satan or the enemy. Like we can try to come at it from all those angles. But let's just stop a minute and think about who all Paul reached on this journey. If you were paying any attention to it all. A Jewish crowd. He got to preach to him. It may have been a mob, but they showed up and heard him for a minute. He got to preach to him, a Jewish crowd, a Roman tribune and his soldiers, the Sanhedrin, a high priest, the elders, two Roman governors and their wives, a Jewish king and his wife, military leaders, a city leaders, a centurion, a ship owner, the ship's captain, 273 other people aboard that ship. An entire island, including the chief, where he even did miracles that healed people. And then, yeah, he arrives in Rome. How many things happen in your life seem like God is against you? Or seems like... It's not going according to plan at all, but in fact, it's exactly according to God's plan. He just didn't tell you. He just didn't ask your opinion first. In 2010, I remember going to Ukraine for the first time, and it was cold, and they had to de-ice the plane at one stop. And I don't know if you've ever been around that, but that's some freaky stuff. You know what I mean? Like, this plane should not be flying, and when you're de-icing it, it's even scarier. And I remember watching that and being nervous, but I kept telling myself, no, I know I'm supposed to be going. Like, I have a reason for going here. And my purpose for going was to teach discipleship to some little bitty churches in far east Ukraine, which is now governed by Russia. And... Uh, but we made it, we made it safe, and I started doing that. And in one particular stop, I ended up sharing my testimony because they asked me to. Like, tell us your testimony. And mine, if you know it, involves drugs and all that mess. So as I was talking about that and everything and sharing how Jesus changed my life from all that, at the end of it, um, all these people started coming up in a line to ask me to pray for their loved one that was on drugs. It's not what I was supposed to be there for, but okay. So I'm literally out one after another just praying for him. And then the last one is a couple of young pastors who were there, and they said, hey, would you come to our drug rehab and talk to them? I was like, sure, I'd love to do that. When? They're like, like, now. I'm like, what? 
So I said, okay. And I, I asked my, you know, the person I was with, can I go with them? They're like, yeah, we grabbed an interpreter and we went. And it snows everywhere. And we drove for hours right up to near the Russian border. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit intimidated now because I'm alone with these guys I've just met in their car hours away from my team. And I've got an interpreter, but that's about it. Otherwise, I don't know Russian. And we are in the snow, and these guys just jump off-road and start off-roading across the field. And they come up to this pig farmer's farm. And we get out, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe the thing is here at the pig farmer's. No, we go out the back side of the farm and into the woods. I'm not kidding you. I got pictures, so I'll show you a few. So we walk back, maybe. Are they on there? They're not, the pictures aren't on there? Oh, okay. So, well, I'll just tell you then. So, we walk through the woods, we come across the woods, and we walk down this gully and across this creek, and the creek literally has logs laid over it, so we can go across it sideways like this. We come up the other side of this creek, and we continue through the woods. We come out the back of the woods, and there's a little house back there with some shacks around it. And they had no, they had one little line for electricity, but it only powered lights because it wasn't strong enough to power anything else. They had a piece of uh, cement that they put wood in in order to create a stove to cook on. Uh, they had our house and these uh, about six or seven guys that were re- rehabbing from drugs. That's how they lived. And they were in bunks. And I came in and they, they asked me to just share my testimony with them, which I did. Um, one of them gave his life to Christ, or a couple of them gave their life to Christ. They say repented. I love that. A couple of them repented. And then one of them is now a pastor. I didn't know any of that then. But I remember leaving that moment and walking back and just started crying. Like just got overwhelmed with this feeling that how much does God love these six dudes? Yeah, there they go. There they are. How much do you love these six dudes? I'll let you see them here because I want you to see the last picture if they're in there. Yeah, this is us coming back there to them. That's their stove. And this is where they all were sleeping. Right here in these two beds. There you go. So leave that one. So, Rick, you the man. Thank you, bro. That, dude, that picture's on my desk. I've had it framed ever since because I remember these guys, and I thought, how much does God love these dudes right here that he sent me all the way at the time from Tennessee to them in the middle of nowhere in the back half of Ukraine, nearly in Russia, in the ice cold. They don't go to church. They don't get to do any of that. How much did God love them that he sent me all the way there? And how much, how important is it that I said yes? I didn't know that's what I was going to do. I had no idea that's what it was about. Changed my life forever. How much does God love these sailors that he sent Paul on that boat? How much does God love that one chief's father who's sick with dysentery, that he personally crashed Paul into his island to heal him. 
I wonder if Jesus had said to Paul, hey, look, don't be afraid. Uh, I'm going to send you to Caesar, but you're going to be arrested. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be mobbed. You're going to be snake bit. And ultimately, you're going to die in Rome, but you're going. I think his approach would have been a little different. And we don't even have a record of Paul with Caesar, by the way. Acts just ends. Doesn't even tell us what happened. And I think maybe that's because this is less about Paul talking to Caesar. And it's more about healing the father of some unknown chief on some tiny little island along the way. Okay. Let me close with this. How do you not despair, though, in the worst of times? I think for me, it all began. I'll give you these two couple of verses and we're done. It all began when Paul determined to go to Jerusalem to begin with. I didn't mention it. But when Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem from the start of all of this, Acts 20, verse 22 says this. Paul said, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to me. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. People try to stop him. They're going to kill you in Jerusalem, dude. Not talking about arrested. They're going to kill you. And Paul says in chapter 21, verse 13, why are you weeping and crying and breaking my heart? I'm, I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's real hard to despair when you're already dead. That's what I've been telling myself all week. It's real hard to despair when you're already dead, finding hope and despair comes from trusting that God has a plan and accepting that you've already entrusted your life to him. It's already here. The blessing here is not uh, Paul making it to Rome as God had said. It's all those whom were saved along the way. As you go, make disciples. Has it ever occurred to you that may mean that you've got to do that in their fears, in their suffering, in their struggles? Maybe it means that God's going to send you to someone and you might be in a shipwreck with them. But it also may be that God will grant you all who are with you to be saved. Man, that would be awesome. Stand up with me, and we're going to pray. We're going to do one more song. And if you don't mind, close your eyes and, and take a second. Just This is not about being, uh, you know, secretive or weird or anything like that. It's just I just want you to take a minute and close your eyes and focus on the Word for a minute. I know you're not looking at it. You don't need to look at it. You just heard it. Take a minute and let it sit inside. Maybe ask Jesus, what, what does this mean for me? Maybe it's time for you to realize that, that hey, look, I, I need to admit the fact that I belong to you. 
Maybe I've been on the throne too long. Maybe it's time for me to say, hey, look, it's enough about me, enough about my sorrows, enough about my woes, enough about all the negative, enough about all the horrible things. Like, I I, I surrender. I'm dead. You're in charge. You can do what you want. You can have me, and anything that comes, comes, because you have made a path through it that brings people to know you. Maybe that's what you need to tell them today. I don't know. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe today is the day that you make that right. Maybe today is the day you recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. That he did come. He did live. He did die. And he is most certainly alive because no grave can hold the creator of all the universe. He didn't do that to show off. He did that so that the grave can't hold you. When you put your faith in him and you trust him, the grave no longer has hold of you but at the same time you're surrendering your life and you're saying it's no longer i who live but it's you who live within me if that's you say it tell them today lord thank you for this privilege of being in your word thank you again as as josh said for paul lord and the life he lived and the the example he set and for luke who recorded it that we can look at it and read it and the coolest part of all lord is one day we can sit down and hear them tell it their own way in their own words Uh, Because the grave's not holding them either. Lord, help us be faithful to you and to your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.